Good afternoon, everybody. I want to continue our Dhamma talk on uh, this topic. The word uh, jhana is sometimes used for uh, meditation in general. Uh, Buddha said uh, uh, to a monk who was uh, complaining of uh, pain and suffering, the Buddha told him, Jaya bhikkhu maja pamadu ma te kama gune bhama suchitang ma loha gulangili pamatto ma khandi dukkha midanti daihamano. It means meditate, bhikkhu, don't be negligent. Don't let this mind wander in the world in of sensual pleasures. Don't cry saying suffering, suffering and suffering. Don't be negligent and suffer as if you have swollen, swallowed a red hot ball, iron ball. It's a very strong statement. <laughs> so, don't do that. Just meditate. For that Buddha used the word jhaya, is the verb. So, We have to understand how we use jhana to overcome uh, uh, hindrances and destroy them together with their roots. There, yesterday I mentioned some misunderstanding of uh, jhana, but I uh, did not, I missed out one of them, one misunderstanding. That is, people uh, sometimes think four jhanas are the same as four stages of enlightenment. There are four jhanas. Uh, there are various types of jhanas, three categories of jhanas. One is uh, material jhanas, other is immaterial jhanas, and the third is supramundane jhanas. Material jhanas don't have a name, they are numbered one, two, three, four, four jhanas. Immaterial jhanas have names, I will explain them later on, and uh, names, and then 
the first four material jhanas are also used as in uh, supramundane jhanas. But jhanas themselves are not the same as the attainment of the four levels of enlightenment. What are the four levels of enlightenment? Stream entry, once returner, never returner, and arahantrut. These are the four stages of enlightenment. And these four stages of enlightenment are not the same as four jhanas. So we have to keep this in mind that these two are two separate uh, groups, separate things. It's a little more complicated than that, but anyway, just for remember that these two are two different categories. And uh, the word jhana, I mention all these things for you to remember when we practice jhana, we go to remember what actually we are doing. Uh, there are two meanings of jhana. One is uh, you focus the mind on a, a certain object and you suppress the hindrances to attain what is called mundane jhanas. Mundane jhanas are two categories, as I mentioned. One is material mundane jhanas and the other is immaterial mundane jhanas. So you take a subject and focus the mind on that subject to overcome hindrances or suppress hindrances. Uh, also, as I have mentioned, uh, you have heard uh, or listened to many talks on hindrances. Anyway, I will explain them later on just to make it uh, even more boring for you. Not exactly <laughs> to, <laughs> to remind you what they are and to... Uh, see how they are related to attaining jhanas because um, you have heard them, heard talks on them in relation to attaining, uh, in relation to practicing uh, mindfulness, vipassana or insight meditation. But they also are uh, necessarily related to uh, attaining uh, jhanas because uh, it is interesting, although people don't talk about jhanas, they talk about hindrances. <coughs> and these five hindrances are going to be suppressed in order to attain jhanas. 
Of course, uh, when we practice medi- mindfulness meditation, uh, they also hinder or uh, obstruct our mindfulness meditation. Therefore, it doesn't matter what you practice, these are hindrances. But when you learn to suppress them through the practice of jhana, they simply remain suppressed so long as you are in jhana. Even that is a very great achievement. But unless you practice vipassana, you cannot get rid of them. So that is the difference. You cannot get rid of them unless you get rid of their fruits. What are the roots of hindrances? Roots are not just five. Roots are ten. Out of these ten roots, five periodically appear. And you simply suppress them temporarily and move on in gaining concentration. Then that is the first meaning of jhana. That means using one single object, focus the mind on that object to overcome or suppress hindrances, five hindrances. Second meaning is destroying the roots of five hindrances, you totally eradicate them from the mind through the practice of vipassana. And these roots are called fetters. Uh, So fetters are ten, hindrances are five. Five hindrances have ten roots. And some of the roots also are hindrances. That means they have the same name. Uh, I list them uh, for you you to understand. Just uh, uh, remember the hindrances. They are greed, hatred, Restlessness and worry, uh, doubt, then uh, sleepiness and drowsiness. These are the five hindrances. Let me repeat them again. 
greed, number two, hatred, number three is restlessness and worry, number four is sleepiness and drowsiness, number five is doubt. Out of this greed, hatred, restlessness, uh, and uh, doubt, these four are also mentioned as fetters. Sleepiness and uh, 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 drowsiness and this this pair are not mentioned as a fetter, but out four out of the five hindrances are mentioned as fetters. I drew a, a picture to illustrate this. Uh, uh, I did not bring it. I can explain. Suppose there is a, uh, on the earth you find very tiny little plants. Especially you go to deserts. Uh, in deserts you can see little plants. Uh, but under the, when you dig the, uh, the place where the plant is, underneath this little plant, there is a huge network of roots, very big. And uh, another plant you dig, another big network of roots. This, what you find underground, the roots, are huge. Even if you remove the plant on the top of the on the land, if you remove the plant, the little one, after sometimes you find another shoot coming out. And after sometimes you remove it, and then another root, another little uh, plant grows from the same place. So long as the roots are there, the plants are growing. Similarly, when we practice jhana, what we do, we temporarily suppress uh, the hindrances, but when you come out of hindrances, out of jhana, the hindrances will appear. Why? The roots are there. What are the roots? Roots are fetters. What are the fetters? The same. Uh, believing that this body, feeling, perception, thought, volitional formations and consciousness 
has some permanent eternal entity called self. This called wrong view of having permanent eternal self is one fetter. That is one of the very powerful strong root that deeply rooted in our subconscious mind. Then uh, doubt Doubt has two aspects, wholesome doubt and unwholesome doubt. Wholesome doubt is healthy. You have doubt, you question, and you learn. And that's how we improve. We all have an inquisitive mind. Inquisitive mind means a mind that has questions, doubts. So we keep asking. That's a good thing, and Buddha encouraged that. There's a wholesome doubt. Unwholesome doubt is a chronic skepticism. And uh, that is uh, skeptics who never accept anything. They keep doubting, 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 and never get rid of it. That is unwholesome doubt. In Pali, I use Pali words to make the meaning clear to me, not to you. <laughs> In Pali, it is called vi chikitsa. Vi chikitsa. Chikitsa and chikitsa. Chikitsa in Sanskrit. Chikitsa in Pali means treatment. When you are sick, you get treatment. You can be treated. We means no. We chikicha means no treatment. No matter, no matter how many answers you get, you will never be satisfied. That kind of doubt is called skeptical doubt or skeptics. Anyway, That is the second fetter and also hindrance. Uh, third is the attachment to rites and rituals. People love rites and rituals. They are so attached to them, they can never live without them. They cling to them, thinking that this is what helped me to liberate myself from suffering. So they keep performing all kinds of rituals, Buddhist, non-Buddhist, Hindus, Christian, Jewish, um, Muslims, it doesn't matter. We all have certain amount of rituals and we are attached to them. We love them. These sometimes people think they existed only in the time of the Buddha and not now, but when you really examine, you know, look around, you can see the amount of rituals we all perform all over the world. Why? Because we are attached to them. And this is a, a fetter. 
not hindrance. Then uh, third fetter is uh, attachment to sensual pleasures. Pali word is karma raga. Karma is uh, desire. Raga means attached to it. Attachment, raga means gluing. The glue <laughs> that sticks things together is called raga. Karma means desire. We are attached to our desires. That's also a very beautiful word. Uh, anyway, that is the fourth letter. And the fifth is hatred. The fourth factor also is a hindrance. Uh, fifth is uh, grudge, hatred, and therefore it is called uh, a fetter and also a hindrance. Then these five are called gross, down-to-earth fetters. And there, is, there, there are four, five others which are called uh, fine fetters, subtle fetters. Sometimes it sounds like fetters, you know, white. People think that is fatter. They are like fetters, you know. <laughs> they keep growing inside and becoming fatter and fatter and fatter. But if I mispronounce, that is what it means. <laughs> if you pronounce it correctly, it is fatter. <laughs> so the sixth fatter is uh, uh, fine desire for fine material existence. Fine material existence. And the seventh is desire for immaterial existence. When it comes to explain these things, I will explain in detail. And the eighth is... Uh, uh, restlessness. Restlessness also is a hindrance as well as a fetter. Uh, ninth is a conceit. It's called mana. It's a fetter, not a hindrance. Uh, the Pali word mana is also a very important word to remember. Mana is a measure, like yardstick or ounce or uh, gallons and so forth, something we use to measure something. This is a measure, one cup, two cup and so forth, we use this to measure something. Similarly, we use ourselves to measure others. <coughs> Therefore, it is called mana. 
that is what we do. We always compare ourselves. This, there is a healthy comparison. But normally we ignore the healthy comparison. This is unhealthy comparison. <coughs> My height, I compare with others' height. My color, I compare with others' color. My achievement with others' achievements. My success with others. And so forth, my popularity with others. My wealth with others, and so forth. That kind of uh, uh, comparison we use. That comparison is called measure. I always am the measuring uh, unit. And I use that to measure others. That's an unhealthy comparison. Healthy comparison is when you practice metta, loving friendliness, I say to myself, I love to be happy. I believe others also love to be happy. I have form, feeling, perceptions, volitional formations and consciousness, others also have these five aggregates. I don't like to suffer. Others also don't like to suffer. That's a spiritual, healthy comparison. That is not, the, that is not called measure, that is not called mana. That's not unhealthy comparison. <clears throat> that is a, a spiritual measure in order for us to share our wholesome practice with others. That is not unhealthy. Anyway, that unhealthy measure is called man. That is the ninth fetter. And tenth fetter is the very difficult one, very deep fetter. That's called ignorance. Ignorance. <coughs> Did you get all the ten? I believe so. <laughs> so, so long as we have these ten fetters as Un, as, as roots underground, hindrances arise from them. Only five hindrances. So when we practice jhana, what we do, we over, we suppress them just to move on in our concentration practice. We suppress only five hindrances. But the roots, we don't remove them. And that is why I said you can practice jhana as a lay person, living household life, all you have to do is to suppress them temporarily and move on and gain concentration. Of course, uh, even as lay person can uproot the other ten too, gradually, slowly, 
there's no uh, anything to prohibit you, stop you from gaining, attaining enlightenment as a lay person. But the, we all uh, we all can do is to gain jhana. Very easy. Not that easy. <coughs> Then, when we practice the uh, uh, second part of jhana, that is uh, jhana, that is called uh, supramundane jhana, uh, what we do, we not only suppress them, we see the characteristic of all existing things. They are called sankara. All existing things are called sankara. Uh, what is sankara? The word is a, I think it's Pali word has a very deep, rich meaning. That's why I use the words Pali word or Sanskrit word sanskara. Uh, Pali word is sankara. <coughs> Sankara means that which comes into existence through causes and conditions is called Sankara. And the Buddha has a very profound definition of the word Sankara. That is, Sankatang Abhisankarotiti Sankara. And he gave, gave a long explanation in Sangyutta Nikaya. Uh, that which comes into existence through the causes and conditions would be reconditioned. Things are reconditioning all the time. As I mentioned yesterday in brief, <coughs> uh, say for example, this body, entire body is Sankara, although it is one of the five aggregates. Uh, there is a one category called Sankara in the five aggregates, but in general, entire five aggregates can be called Sankara. What are the five aggregates? Form, feeling, perceptions, volitional formations, and consciousness. All these five are called Sankaras, in general. And these Sankara, this, bo- this body, feeling, perceptions, volitional formations, cons- and consciousness are reconditioning all the time. Are they not? We are reconditioning the body through cleaning, eating, and uh, uh, washing, and uh, so forth and so on. We don't have to mention the things that we do to recondition this body. We are reconditioning it by breathing and so forth and so on. That is how we maintain it. If we do not repair it, it will be destroyed very quickly. House is repairing, 
car has to be repaired, uh, cloth has to be repaired, everything has to be reconditioned. Air has to be reconditioned, water has to be reconditioned, you know, through purification and so forth. <coughs> so everything that exists in the whole universe is repairing, reconditioning again and again. That is the nature of Sankara. That is why they are called Sankara. Sankatang Abhisankaroti is Sankara. That which comes into existence through causes and conditions are reconditioning or being reconditioned all the time. And in this uh, sankharas, or reconditioning, or reconditioned things, have three characteristics. When we practice supramundane jhanas, what we do, we see these three characteristics very clearly. That means <coughs> we practice mundane jhanas and gain deep concentration. And the deepest level of concentration, as I mentioned yesterday, deepest level of concentration does not mean we become vegetable and absorb. Uh, people think we absorb, with, we become one with the object. Friends, we do not become one with the object. For example, if uh, we use uh, a color as a casino object, uh, if we become with the, become one with the color, then we, our color will not be there. <laughs> if we use blue, <laughs> we will turn out to be blue. Our mind will be blue. It doesn't happen that way. We use an object, it doesn't matter what, depending on our temperaments, in order to suppress these hindrances to gain concentration. Once we gain concentration, that is the mental state. That is called, I have to explain them later, <coughs> uh, that attainment is called jhana. Anyway, once we gain uh, uh, deep concentration, with deep, this deep concentrated state of mind, we see the deepest level of these three characteristics of all existing things. What are the three characteristics of all conditioned things? That they all are impermanent. <laughs> Friends, this is a wonderful thing to remember. Everything is permanently impermanent. <laughs> Not temporarily impermanent. <laughs> permanently impermanent. That means something becomes permanent now and tomorrow becomes impermanent. Or today it is permanent, tomorrow it is becoming impermanent. No. Everything is <laughs> permanently impermanent. If somebody asks you, what is permanent? Impermanence. 
That is true. We have to have a deep insight to understand this reality and deepest level of concentration to see it happening. And therefore, when we gain concentration, we just don't become like a rock or vegetable, absorbed into the object and remain just like rotting ourselves. No. That is the level where we see these three characteristics very, very clearly. And then, what is the purpose of seeing these three characteristics? <clears throat> Not to perform miracles. <laughs> you know, there's a discourse in Sanyutanika called Susima Sutta. Uh, Susima met some monks and asked, uh, Are you enlightened? I, no. Uh, they said they, he said uh, that they, he had heard them coming to the Buddha and declaring that they had attained enlightenment. So he overheard this conversation with the Buddha. And when they were leaving, he was very curious and rushed to them and said, I heard you telling the Buddha that you have attained enlightenment. Can you perform miracles? This monk said, uh, No, we cannot. Then you are not enlightened. Because if you are enlightened, you should be able to perform miracles. So they uh, generally, uh, people uh, uh, equate attaining en- jhana is the same as attaining enlightenment. And Attaining jhana and attaining enlightenment also the same as performing miracles. That means when you attain enlightenment, you should be able to perform miracles. Buddha did not uh, pay any special attention to uh, miracles. Although he was able to perform miracles because of the practice of jhana, one one can perform miracles. But that is not the purpose of attaining jhanas. <clears throat> One day there was a king. He challenged uh, all supposed, uh, supposedly enlightened uh, people of his uh, day to prove they are enlightened by, by uh, displaying their mysterious powers, mysterious abilities. He placed a golden ball <clears throat> on top of a very tall uh, uh, stake, uh, 60 feet tall, <clears throat> and said he would believe in such a thing only if uh, someone removed the ball in a specific way. That is, uh, coming in the air, flying, and removing the ball, with not uh, by climbing the stake, the post. So many famous uh, 
so-called enlightened persons tried to do that, but nobody could do it. <clears throat> Finally, one uh, monk, Buddhist monk, called Pindola Bharadwaja, he came in there and took it away. And the king was very pleased. <clears throat> When this was brought to the Buddha's attention, Buddha called this monk and reprimanded him. He said, this is not the reason or the purpose of your attaining enlightenment. <clears throat> this is a very cheap thing. Reprimanded him and prohibited him to perform miracles for cheap things like this, to get a ball, gold ball, and so forth. And it is also reported once uh, uh, the Buddha was uh, uh, beside the river, and uh, someone asked him, uh, "Can you walk on water? On the water?" Uh, Buddha said, uh, I could, but then he asked, uh, do you have a boat to cross the river? He said, uh, yes. Then the Buddha asked, uh, how much does it cost for such a ride? He said, uh, one and a half pennies. Then Buddha said, well, then uh, that is the worth of such a miracle. <laughs> Walking on the water, that's the cost, the worth. So he uh, reduced the worth of performing miracle to one and a half pennies. <laughs> so that is not the purpose of attaining jhanas. Therefore, <clears throat> when one attains, concent gains concentration, one should really uh, be able to see these three characteristics of uh, all conditioned things. What are the three characteristics of all conditioned things? You may not like to hear that. <laughs> but I have to tell you the truth. You know, once you realize the truth, that is the sweetest thing in the whole universe. And Buddha said, uh, Satchang have sadhu tarang rasanang. Among all the tasty things in the whole universe, the truth is the tastiest. Is that what you have heard? No. You have heard truth is bitter. Truth is bitter. Not too many people say truth is tasty or sweet. 
But Buddha said truth is the sweetest, tastiest things in the whole universe. Why the truth is bitter? Because we have a lot of garbage in our mind. <laughs> when the garbage is removed, truth is sweet. So long as we have guilt in our head, in our mind, truth is bitter. You don't like to hear that. So, when we remove these hindrances, gain concentration, you begin to see the three characteristics of all existing things. And you love to see them. <laughs> what are the three characteristics? That everything is permanently impermanent. <laughs> One. And you see things changing, changing, changing. It doesn't matter what you see or what object it is. Human, animal, man, woman, boy, girl, trees, movies, and doesn't matter anything. Whatever. Whatever you experience, when you close your eyes, you experience many things. <clears throat> Everything you experience is impermanent. Changing, 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 changing. What is the purpose of seeing that truth? Why do we want to see that truth? Things are impermanent. You know, sun rises, sun sets, then what's the big deal? It happens every day. Winter, summer, spring, fall, come and go. So what is the deal? But seeing impermanence is not that. <coughs> That's very superficial way of seeing impermanence. A real deep seeing impermanence is within ourselves. Our problems arise not seeing external things. Problem arises not seeing internal changes. So, when we see impermanence, <clears throat> the next characteristics also appears in our mind. That is, this impermanent thing is unsatisfactory. It does not give me permanent satisfaction because how can we get permanent satisfaction from impermanent thing? Can you get in order to gain permanent satisfaction, we have to have something permanent, some permanent experience. When things are impermanent, what we uh, gain is impermanent experience, impermanent satisfaction. Satisfaction is there. Buddha don't Buddha don't deny. Buddha don't deny the the uh, satisfaction. Satisfaction is there. Whenever he met somebody for the first time and wanted to explain Dhamma, uh, the number one he said, number in his uh, gradual teaching, the first thing he said, Kamanang Asad. Enjoyment of sensual pleasures. 
when he talks about enjoyment of sensual pleasures, he admits that sensual pleasure is something enjoyable. Pleasure is there. So, but there are that pleasure, that enjoyment, that happiness is impermanent. And therefore, this pleasure becomes displeasure. <laughs> the pleasure becomes displeasure, unsatisfactory. With deep insight, we can see that. Not because it is impermanent, it is, it is unhappy, un, unpleasant or unsatisfactory, but because our attachment to impermanent things, it becomes unsatisfactory. <coughs> you know, when you attain enlightenment, for example, suppose you attain enlightenment, I think you will one day, who knows? <laughs> attain enlightenment, you don't make impermanent permanent. <laughs> Even if you attain enlightenment, impermanent things continue to be impermanent. But you will not become attached to impermanent things. That is how when you attain enlightenment, you will not have suffering. You will not have suffering, not because you make, imp make impermanent permanent, but because you do not become attached to impermanent things. So, <clears throat> when we gain deep concentration, we can see this reality. When things are impermanent, let it be so. We don't try to cling to it, attach to it, hold on to it. And that is the second characteristic we can see and we can deal with when we gain deep concentration. Desire is just the diametrically opposite factor of concentration. <coughs> Clinging, craving is diametrically opposite factor of concentration. Therefore, when you get right concentration, you don't become attached to the concentration. You use that concentration as an instrument, as an agent to see this reality. Therefore, some people, as I mentioned yesterday, when you gain concentration, it is so pleasant you become attached to it. As I mentioned in, Buddha said in Arya Pariyasana Sutta, when he gained uh, pleasure from his concentration, he said, I don't have to be afraid of this pleasure. Why? I'm not attached to it. This is no sensual pleasure. This is non-sensual pleasure. By seeing the truth, I gain displeasure. And therefore he was not attached to it and there's no reason to be afraid of that pleasure. So when we gain true concentration, this is the second characteristic we see and this becomes 
this makes us more comfortable in attaining jnana. Third characteristics of all existing things is that which is impermanent, that which is unsatisfactory, is necessarily without any permanent entity in it. Because if there is anything permanent, that permanent thing would be able to make everything else is permanent. <laughs> See, when something is permanent, that has a power, the ability, the strength to keep things permanent. Since there is nothing permanent, we can see there is nothing uh, permanent in it. Substance, core, heart, permanent thing to control what is impermanent. This is the third characteristic we see when we gain the jhana. <clears throat> I want to explain the, at least some other time, some way, uh, the difference between right concentration and wrong concentration. Because when we say concentration, concentration does not necessarily mean always right concentration. There is a wrong concentration, just like there is right concentration. Uh, but I think uh, I don't uh, want to start that part because it is a very important part to remember the distinction between right concentration and wrong concentration. It is very easy for somebody to gain wrong concentration. That is what normally many people do without knowing that they are getting, into, getting wrong concentration. Perhaps uh, <clears throat> tomorrow I will start with that uh, and uh, give you a very uh, clear uh, explanation of the Buddha's explanation of right concentration, not mine. I don't have anything like that. I just borrow Buddha taught us, learn what the Buddha taught us, and I am just an agent to relate to people. So maybe tomorrow I will give a talk on the difference between right concentration and wrong concentration. For now, this may suffice as this afternoon's Dhamma talk. Thank you very much for your patient listening.